these are your masters, your political masters, and your political masters might change, and it might be a completely new lot. Or it might be that your political masters get a regeneration, they've got a fantastic mandate, they've won again. I remember off the 92 election thinking, maybe it'll never happen. But it did, within five years. And I suspect some people thought after the last election, there's never going to be a change of government, and now it's quite possible. Hello and welcome to Preparing for Power, a special inside briefing podcast brought to you by the Institute for Government. The days, weeks and months ahead are going to be dominated by opinion polls and campaign slogans, policy pledges and manifesto launches. But what about the morning after election night? Whoever forms the next government will need to be prepared and the job begins almost as soon as the votes have been counted. So what is it like to go from opposition to government overnight? How do civil servants get ready for the possibility of a transition of power or a hung parliament? And what is it like for a governing party to continue in power after a bruising campaign? Over the next six weeks, the Institute for Government will be taking you behind the scenes to find out how our politicians, advisers and officials block out the noise of a general election campaign to get ready for being in government. We'll be speaking to former ministers, special advisers and senior civil servants to discover how they prepared for that all-important election result and its aftermath, to hear their secrets and to work out the lessons for 2024. I'm Catherine Hatton, Programme Director at the Institute for Government. In this episode, we'll be looking at how the civil service prepare for a potential transition of government. For many civil servants, general elections epitomise the fundamental role that the civil service provides. They are there to provide the permanency of government, staying on to serve whoever wins a general election, and provide continuity in advice and expertise. Gus O'Donnell, now Lord O'Donnell, was in number 10 for the 1992 general election and then Cabinet Secretary in 2010. They're always exciting, and I always say to civil servants that actually transitions are rare. You know, I look back on it. I mean, I joined in 79, the Treasury from academia. We had 97 and then 2010. You know, it's, they're rare. So make the most of it. Until the results are in, the civil service is there to serve the current government. The election must be prepared for, but it cannot distract from the day job. This is a tricky balancing act, and many civil servants are aware that ministers sometimes worry that their attention is being diverted. We asked Sir David Bell, former Permanent Secretary at the Education Department, what it felt like serving the Labour government leading up to the 2010 election. I never felt at any point at all, actually, that they had taken their foot off the gas and we had taken our foot off the gas. So to that extent, it really was business as usual. And I'm actually very pleased that it was business as usual because there was no sense that ministers could say, oh, civil servants now got their eye on the future. That was never the case. In 1997, Moira Wallace was a private secretary to John Major. She told us how the civil servants in number 10 used the pre-election period while Major was out on the campaign trail to prepare for what might happen after the election. It was a time for us discreetly just to make sure we were prepared for all eventualities, that we understood the whole of the manifestos, that we knew who was who and were ready to go. But I think there was, there was a lot of discretion around, actually, with people aware a change was really likely, but not wanting to jump the gun even internally. In some departments, the election doesn't have much impact on what officials do, as Dame Sue Owen remembers from working at the Department for Work and Pensions in 2010. Most of the department are not affected by an election. They are out there finding people jobs and answering phone calls and 
paying benefits. So the operational delivery side has to carry on. And some of the long-term planning the civil service does will be relevant for whoever wins the election, as former Treasury Permanent Secretary Nick McPherson told us. I can remember sort of in, in 2009 taking the view that Look, we haven't got spending plans beyond 2010-11. We need to be ready for whoever forms the government and really think through the strategic issues facing the Treasury, one of which was obviously the forthcoming spending review. Bearing in mind that the previous spending review had been in 2007 before both the recession and the financial crisis got going. And so therefore was based on a very different trajectory in terms of likely revenues than was clear by 2009. Some departments set up small teams of civil servants to prepare for the potential transition, to keep that work separate from the day-to-day business of government. There's lots of material that could then be turned into a red, yellow and blue folder for different options. Moira Wallace was Permanent Secretary at the Department for Energy and Climate Change. She told us about the preparations in 2010. We set up a team that was very organised and that just went through every policy area, trawled through the manifestos, made sure that we had a bit of analysis on what each manifesto said about those policy areas and that those were edited together in the appropriate colour binder. Michael Gove explained his plans for education during access talks ahead of the 2010 election. To keep the preparations confidential and ensure the wider department stayed focused on serving the current government, David Bell initially kept this work at a very senior level. We kept the circle of information very tight. I asked the key directors general to just to have a think about some of the issues that Michael raised, and that helped me at the subsequent meeting and meetings to go back and say, this is what we think about what you're suggesting. Here are some of the practical issues of implementation. And uh, it was an iterative process, which I think actually worked pretty well. During the general election campaign, there are restrictions on what the government can do. This is partly to stop public money and the civil service from being used to campaign for the governing party. The period used to be called PERDA, but is now referred to as the pre-election period of sensitivity. Because the government isn't allowed to make big policy announcements or start putting public money into new projects, preparation for a potential transition of government often ramps up during this period. We were starting to think ahead to the PERDA period because we knew we would have to work at pace (laughs) during that period to really knock up good advice to all possible governments. So we just did a little bit of thinking about how we would go about that we agreed some task teams that we then could be activated. And again, we felt that that pre-planning helped us. So we made a really good start as soon as the election was announced. We didn't start thinking about it. Then. We'd already thought about it and we just pressed the button. An overnight handover of power can bring a rapid change in some government policies. As the election approaches, the civil service starts preparing for how the opposition's ideas might actually work in practice. Sometimes these preparations are in response to a specific request by a shadow minister. George Osborne provided Nick McPherson with some quite clear direction ahead of the 2010 election. I recall one quite important meeting, which was about eight days before the election was called, where he said, look, if an election is called and we get in we're going to want to implement 
six billion pounds of in-year cuts very quickly. And can you go away and come up with a plan on that basis, which we did. And they did announce it, I think, within 10 days of the government being appointed. And again, I think that instilled confidence that the Treasury could deliver on the new government's behalf. And just before the election was announced in 2010, Michael Gove gave David Bell a list of policies that he wanted the Education Department to start preparing. Michael made it very clear that he wanted to introduce an academies bill and uh, hopefully an act before the summer recess. That was a big issue because that was going at some pace. So we spent quite a lot of time thinking about that. And then, I mean, another interesting example, Michael had made it very clear to me that he wanted to abolish the children's database that the Labour government had set up. And that was quite an interesting moment because here, of course, we were tasking during Purda the civil servants who'd been working on that scheme and they put it all together and we were saying, actually, get ready to dismantle. And they had to put together an action plan for how they would dismantle it. But as well as working on specific policies, it can be incredibly helpful for civil servants to understand the background to the opposition's thinking. I put people in touch with documents or books that people don't. So to give you an example, Michael had made very clear to me early on that he was interested in counter-extremism activity and how you would deal with that in the education system. And uh, he obviously cited the book he'd written. I think it was called Celsius 7-7. He wrote a book about Islamic extremism. So I suggested to people, look, we need to understand what the potential Secretary of State might be thinking about these matters. So that was simply a case of saying to people, look, have a look at that. Are there any clues there about what a potential Secretary of State might do? So again, I think we were trying to, how would you describe this, intelligence gathering and trying to form a picture of what might happen if there was to be a Conservative government. However well civil servants comb through policy announcements and the manifestos, there will always be some things they don't see coming. Here's Nick McPherson on Bank of England independence in 1997. There was absolutely no indication of independence and it had been kept completely secret from just about everybody, including, I suspect, many members of the Shadow Cabinet. We just welcomed Gordon Brown to the Treasury late on the afternoon of the Friday of the election and pretty quickly he made clear that uh, he had a plan to... um, make the Bank of England independent and asked Ed to produce a piece of paper which sets out how it would be done. And I think that illustrates my point that rapidly it's the incoming government which is setting the agenda and the job of the civil service is to respond, enable, sometimes warn, but to demonstrate that the machine works and government can continue. As well as understanding the opposition's policy, the civil service needs to prepare for how the people, culture and language of government might change if the opposition come into power. Sue Owen told us about some of the first steps a department should take to prepare for the people who might become their ministers. Get people to think about the first meetings they would have and how they would prepare for that and thinking quite a lot about who the different shadow ministers were and what their constituencies were and you know, find out as much as we can about what kind of person they they are, might uh, have a look a bit at their social media and try to get people to think a bit about the, the characters that they might be having to deal with. 
These preparations can make a real difference to the first weeks and months of a new government, particularly when there are big changes in policy or personality. Nick McPherson remembered how the Treasury in 1997 wasn't quite ready for the working style of Gordon Brown. There was an expectation that somehow ministers would just carry on working like they'd always worked. And I saw this from the coalface where we were trying to get decisions out of Chancellor Brown. And Gordon Brown has many brilliant characteristics, but he's just got a very lateral way of thinking and operating. And the sort of person who, if you ask him a sort of yes or no question, will always come up with a lateral response. And it took the Treasury quite a while to understand this. I can remember angry senior officials ringing me up saying, why haven't we got a decision on this? Why haven't we got a decision on that? And having to explain, look, it's going to take a bit longer. And maybe you ought to go and engage with Ed Balls or Ed Miliband because they might actually be able to help lay the ground for a decision. And I think that was the basic problem in 97. And as well as getting to know the politicians, it can be helpful to understand the wider ecosystem that is feeding into the opposition's policy, as David Bell explains from his experience in 2010. We were trying to get a sense of who the folks were that were advising Michael and the Conservatives so we could understand what these people might be thinking and how they might be influencing. And I think there's quite an interesting issue there, and maybe same again this time. After so long of a Labour government, we knew who all the policy influencers were for Labour. You know, the people working in the think tanks, the columnists who were sympathetic, the policy ones. We, we kind of knew who those people were because we were dealing with them. It actually became quite clear to us that we didn't know those people on the Conservative side. And names started to emerge some of whom we'd heard of, actually quite a few we hadn't heard of. And that was interesting because we were thinking, well, of course, those people are going to be doing a lot of influencing behind the scenes. So it might be helpful for us to try to understand what they might be thinking. At a recent IFG event, Nick McPherson told us about his slightly less orthodox approach to preparing for a change of government. I went to Posh, this fantastic play about the Bullington Club on the night of the 2010 general election to get in the zone. <laughs> and Mrs. McPherson... Hope we didn't disappoint you, Nick. Mrs. McPherson got, kept sort of nudging me because I was looking at my then Blackberry about the results. And I can remember being utterly astonished when I discovered that the Tories weren't going to get a majority. So, but these are, this, is, this is what being a civil servant's about. Good times. The first day for a new minister is a whirlwind of activity. Sleep deprived after a gruelling election campaign, they have to get to grips with being in government and running a department. To help new ministers on their first day, departments will normally have prepared a day one briefing. You want your first day briefing to address what the department does, how the department's structured, who the people are. In some cases, like DCMS, it's very important that you have quite a bit about the arm's length bodies. So then there'll be lots of practical things about things that are coming up anyway. There'll be a chunky analysis of the manifesto and some advice on it as well. And then there'll be some advice or questioning about the order of priorities and what do they want to go for first. If you've got a very proactive manifesto that wants to do 
30 things in the first year. There's not the bandwidth necessarily to to do that. But it's also possible to over-prepare, as Nick McPherson remembers from the Treasury's preparations in 1997. 300 pages of briefing for incoming ministers were produced. And I can say with almost complete certainty that virtually none of them were ever read by Gordon Brown. And by 2010, the Treasury had changed its approach. What we decided to do was to have about 30 pages, probably still too many, covering every all the big strategic issues. So it would have had about 10 headings, probably of, I don't know, three pages each on the big issues, which were just set out in very, very broad terms what the issues were and flag up where they would be getting advice in pretty short order. So you might have had a section on the Office for Budgetary Responsibility, which would have said, here are the five things you're going to have to think about. We will give you further advice in the coming days. The other thing is we had a very good um, director of communications who I got to rewrite the 30 pages to make it coherent and readable. And again, I don't know whether it got read. I suspect it did by George Osborne because I think he quite liked reading things. All departments will do their briefings slightly differently. David Bell describes his process in the education department before 2010. We prepared a set of one side of A4 briefing papers on every conceivable subject area. I think we had about, if I remember, we had about 60 or 70 of those. But the thing was, there were one side, every subject was one side. It was sort of key issue, key facts issues to consider. And we did that right across the policy brief. So when, as it turned out, our plan was whenever the ministers came in, they could have a quick glance at all of those, or they could divide them up depending on their areas of responsibility. So that worked very well. We went through a very rigorous process. I remember sitting there kind of editing these papers and saying, no, that's not good enough. It's not sharp enough. It's too long. Get it back. A lot of attention will be on preparing for the main opposition party and the politicians likely to be handed ministerial jobs. But what happens if no single party wins an overall majority? Gus O'Donnell was the most senior civil servant in government ahead of the 2010 election, an election which led to the first coalition government since World War II. We asked him what civil servants had done to prepare for that situation. So I asked Alex Allen, one of my PermSec team, to come up with some scenarios. And so he came up with various scenarios, one of which was famously very close to what actually happened. And we did the various scenarios and people did role play various parts. I stayed above it to kind of get all the things in and look at what was happening. And it helped us a lot because the one that was very close to what actually happened, everybody had their their brief, their brief about what was in the manifesto and what they'd said they might give and not give. And... They all came back and they failed to reach an agreement. We realised out of that that the politicians would have to behave, surprise, surprise, like politicians and give on something which they hadn't said they'd give on and make those political trade-offs and judgments that actually only they can make because they are mandated electorally to do that. As well as wargaming the negotiations, officials also planned for how coalition government might function. But not all of these plans worked in practice. When the coalition came along, you know, I had fancy plans about coalition committees that would sort out disagreements. Stupid, really. I mean, that they weren't implemented. Uh, you know, I think they met twice. And then the quad emerged, which you would never have 
thought of in advance that a coalition which was six parts Conservatives, one part Lib Dem, would have two Conservatives, two Lib Dems as the key decision-making, ultimate decision-making body. But that's the way it worked out. One thing we heard from politicians and civil servants is that departments need to make sure their preparations are joined up. A number of former permanent secretaries told us that regularly speaking to colleagues was valuable for ensuring their preparations were all coordinated. We would generally, as, as a group of perm secs, I can only talk about during my time, we would get together and we'd all discuss what we were going to do. And there'd be some departments where you knew there was going to be lots of action. There may be others where, possibly for political reasons, they've decided not to make that an issue. So they've been not very explicit about what they're going to do. And coordinating across departments becomes more important the longer it has been since a transition of government last took place. I also obviously sought advice from colleagues who had been there because it's one of those interesting things, isn't it, that when you've had a long period of one government, yes, there will have been elections, but institutional memories fade over time. So to some extent, the whole civil service team under Gus O'Donnell was thinking about that. The whole permanent secretaries team was thinking about that. And I remember we had one or two informal sessions as permanent secretaries just to talk through the process. The way the civil service prepares for a possible transition of power can be crucial to how a new government works in the days, weeks and months following an election. So how can civil servants best prepare for that outcome? The final word in this episode goes to Nick McPherson. The most important quality, I think, at times like this is emotional intelligence. It's being able to read what people are about and what really matters to them. So... Above all, it's about listening, not just to the explicit instructions you receive, but to the implicit signals which you can pick up, both in terms of what really matters to them, what they think of their colleagues, and how they want to work. But if you get that right, I think it's one of the most rewarding aspects of working in the service. Thank you for listening to this episode of Preparing for Power from the Institute for Government. In our next episode, we'll be taking you inside how opposition parties prepare for entering government. By 1997, I was the absolute expert, the queen of opposition. There was nothing I didn't know about being in opposition, but there was nothing I knew about being in government. If you're going to do anything radical, do it early on. I mean, Machiavelli is very clear about that. Do it it early, when you've got the political capital, and then you can reap the benefit of it later. We'll be speaking to former shadow ministers and opposition advisers about the preparations they did in the past and what they would do differently if they had their time again. See you next week.